Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 268. Hello and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years. My name, as I said earlier, is Dr. Ryan Gray. I'm your host here every week. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to put on your earbuds, put in your earbuds, turn the radio on in the car and plug your phone in in the car. Listen wherever you are listening. I want to first mention and let you know, if you didn't already know, that medicalschoolhq.net has a new form for you to go and collaborate with other students. Right, The motto, collaboration, not competition, is key on your journey. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash forms, register for an account if you don't already have one, and go collaborate, go ask questions, go seek out answers. The forms were taken from old pre-meds, the other site that I used to run, and now it's all on medicalschoolhq.net. So there are years and years of amazing questions being asked. So use the search function, find the answers to your questions. If you don't find it, ask a question and get it answered. All right, so let's talk about today's amazing guest. I have somebody who is on his way to medical school and is a former, or current, I guess, current, once once an NP, always an MP, an, an MP. And he is talking about his journey, why he chose to be an NP, and now why he's choosing to go to medical school. So if you're someone in a similar situation, maybe you're a PA, an NP, maybe you're a nurse, whatever you are doing at this point, and you're contemplating a career switch, maybe this podcast will help you. Let's go ahead and jump in and say hello to Matt and hear about his journey. Matt, welcome to the pre-med year. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for inviting me on. I am excited to talk to you today because you have a very non-traditional journey coming from another healthcare field that a lot of students who are listening to this are probably in very similar situations, starting off on a path um, in another healthcare field, either because that's what they thought they wanted to do, or maybe they thought they could never, they weren't smart enough to be a physician, and so they, they quote unquote settled for something a little bit less. Um, than being a physician. So I want to start with you. 
you started off in nursing school. So let's talk about when you decided to become a nurse. When I graduated high school, I was only 17. I had no idea what I wanted to do, like probably most 17-year-olds. And uh, one of my best friends was actually finishing nursing school and was going into nurse practitioner school. And he kind of sold me on the idea that, you know, you'll have job security. If you choose to go the NP route, you'll, you know, you'll be able to write prescriptions and you'll have good hours and you make good money. And, you know, at 17, I'm like, all right, I'm I'm in. So (laughs) Money, yes. Had healthcare ever crossed your mind before that? Um, it had, but I don't know how seriously healthcare has kind of been in my family. I think my father's owned an ambulance, or um, it's not my father, my uncle owned an ambulance company and my brother was a firefighter and a paramedic. So there was like, I was around it and I would hear people talking about it, but it wasn't ever anything that I, I don't think I took that seriously. I never really saw myself going that way, I guess. What did you see yourself doing? Well, for my first semester of college, I thought I would be in international business (laughs) But uh, yeah, that didn't that didn't seem realistic. I think I think um, there's just too much uncertainty in that in that field. And you know, job security is important. And I felt like if I became a nurse and subsequently a nurse practitioner, at least I would be able to pay the bills while I figured out what my real passion was. Mm-hmm. Okay, which happened to be medicine, I guess. Yeah. So you you go through nursing school. How did you do as a nurse student? What was what was easy for you? What was hard for you? I felt like the easier courses, some of the science courses were easier, but in general, I just wasn't that focused and I didn't really set myself up for success in nursing school. Um, I, I ended up finishing with a th- just over a three, like a 3.01. And part of that was just because I was doing just enough to pass the classes. And um, yeah, I had help from people that were in my, in my cohort that were kind of helping me along and such. And I got through it. And that was actually good enough to get into nurse practitioner school. Yeah. So, uh, school. so your goal was, it sounds like your goal was to be an NP and yeah. you're going through nursing school. Did you have your eye on NP school and, and were you thinking about, okay, to, to get into NP school, I need to do at least a three O or at least a certain, it sounds like you were just doing enough to get by nursing school, but did you have your, your eye on what NP schools wanted? Uh, I actually, I, I got into nursing with the intention of becoming a nurse practitioner and I, I actually didn't do much research to figure out what would have been expected of me. And near the end of my junior year, I did some research and found out that I wasn't actually making that cut. So I really needed to, bear down and focus. And I ended up getting myself above that 3.0 um, threshold that most schools were looking for. Okay. At what point, as you're going through this process of nursing school, and then going to NP school, did you start to get that little voice in the back of your head that said, maybe this isn't enough? Uh, at some point in nursing school, I think maybe in my second year, I had, I thought like, maybe I should become a physician. Like, I feel like I can really do this. At the time I was enjoying what I was learning. I wasn't necessarily doing all that well, but I was really enjoying it. And I reached out to a couple of my professors and, and it's really interesting within the nursing community itself. There's almost like, it's almost like there's teams, there's physicians, and then there's nurses and the response I got was, well, you know, why do you want to be a doctor? You know, unless you're going to do surgery, you know, if, if you're going to do surgery, then yeah, sure. But as an NP, you can do everything else. 
And certainly there's also CRNAs who can do anesthesia. So, you know, they were basically saying, why would you want to commit yourself to all that? And at the time, their argument made perfect sense to me. I was like, all right, I'm already this far. Let me at least give this a shot and see if I really enjoy it. So I gave it a shot. Were these physicians, you, you said there's physician groups in this nursing world. Were these physicians giving you that advice? No, these were all uh, nursing faculty. Okay. They weren't physicians. That makes but sense. like they look at it like there's, you know, like we're nurses and they're doctors. So, you know, it's almost like switching teams if you were to yeah. go from nursing to medicine. Yeah. I, I was asking because you, you had mentioned the doctor part and then the feedback that you're getting as well. It's, it's bas- you can do everything that a, a doctor can do. And it's just it's just not true. Yeah, um, there is limitations for sure. There are definitely limitations. So you you had this feeling like maybe I could do it. I think there are probably plenty of nurses, a majority of nurses out there who could get into medical school and could be great physicians. But that doesn't mean they want to or they should go on to medical school. So what was it that ultimately kicked you in the butt and said, I, I need to go for this? Well, when my first NP job was, or and still is, I work in a cardiac surgery ICU, and I have it's like it's mostly cardiac surgery with some medicine and surgery ICU, and I, you know, I I had never been around such a great multidisciplinary environment, and a lot of my attending physicians were just so motivational, and you know they they really gave you certainly enough rope to basically hang yourself but you you know you get to go see your patients and i get to intubate my own patients and put lines in my own patients and all that and i was like i feel like i can i feel like if if i'm trained i can offer even more to people and that was it was a combination of my attending saying yeah you should do it and being able to see what that life would really be like firsthand so discuss that more because i think Somebody who's listening to this, who's on the edge, do I do I go be an NP? Do I go be a PA, or do I go to med school and commit four years of of med school and and three to seven years of residency and then fellowship? What was it that, as a practicing NP, were you hitting a wall, either from a knowledge standpoint or from a a credentials and a privileging standpoint that you just couldn't do and and the the doctor had to do it that kind of frustrated you? Um, I think part of it was I got, I started as an NP when I was 23 and I had made the decision when I was like 25 ish to, to pursue this. And one of the things that I looked at was what am I going to be doing over the next 10 years? And I saw myself, I saw like I had hit a ceiling, you know, I would be doing basically the same thing sort of day in and day out with the same skills and at some point, I would be working with younger physicians, and I would still be having lots of this kind of witty medical banter with people who have had significant less experience than me. And I felt like I would become very frustrated later on in my career, and I don't see myself being like an administrative kind of person. Um, so I felt like uh, that was part of it. And then I, I, I'm a family-trained nurse practitioner, and I do critical care, so I've had to do a lot of um, just self-directed learning on my own. And a lot of the PAs that I work with, they trained right alongside medical students in a lot of those, you know, first and second year science classes. And they are just so much smarter than me. And that was part of it too. I found that frustrating. Just, um, you know, admittedly, they just had a much better grasp of the physiology of what our patients were dealing with. 
and I, I really wanted that too. I wanted that to be taught to me. Yeah. I, I think that's a, an important distinction between knowledge and, and being able to do something because for, for somebody listening to this, when you go to the hospital, you get credentialed by a credentialing office and, and they list everything based on your training that you can or can't do. Right. And based on your training as an NP and, and based on a PA's training and based on a physician's training, everybody is credentialed and, and privileged at, at different levels. And so that alone limits you based on your training. The knowledge, as you said, you can self-direct and learn yourself. You can go online nowadays and go buy these books and, and read yourself and, and learn. But from a from an activity standpoint, there's still a lot that you're not going to be able to do. So Yeah, and, and I think another thing is at GW our work, you know, we have a really great setup for the PAs and NPs and we have a lot of autonomy, but you but I from what I've seen the degree of autonomy at GW is a lot more than most facilities. So if I ever wanted to switch, I would be taking steps back as far as uh, my privileges. Yeah, that's good to know. So who was the first person that you came out to in your NP world, in your in work environment where you said, hey, I, I'm going to go back and do my, my prereqs for med school? Um, well, I definitely tried to keep that a big secret because I didn't, I didn't want anybody to look at it like I was that I thought that I was better than anybody else because that's not how I see it at all. This is about me and not about anybody else. So I tried to not tell anybody, but I had to set up my schedule in a certain way that I was leaving like every Monday and Wednesday, every Tuesday and Thursday open so I could go take classes. And eventually people caught on. And so I told them and they were actually all very happy for me. And uh, then when I started asking my attendings for letters of recommendation, they were all very happy for me too. I thought that I was going to get kind of grilled. Like, why are you giving up this cushy lifestyle? You know, you work 12 days a month and uh, they weren't, they were just very excited for me. So, um, I wasn't going to tell anybody, honestly, cause I didn't want to face, <laughs> I didn't want to face that inevitable conversations, you know, but a lot of the people I work with, the PAs and MPs, you know, they, they couldn't understand why I wanted to do it to the extent that our work life balance is so great. But when I told them, when I explained to them, you know, what am I going to be doing over the next 10 years that's going to you know, justify not doing it? I mean, they felt like that was a, a good way to look at it, and they get it. And I think that that's when people are thinking, you know, I want to be in healthcare, do I want to be a physician, an NP, a PA? You know, lifestyle balance is definitely important. And I would say, I would say uh, advanced practitioners have a very good lifestyle balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you get pretty good lifestyle. You get to, depending on what you personally want what satif- satisfies you as a as a nurse practitioner or a PA uh, or a CRNA what is it that that is satisfying you day in and day out it, is that enough as an MP is that enough as a PA or is it not enough and for you it wasn't enough yeah and I wasn't you know and I understand being a physician is a busy lifestyle but I can I also have the opportunity to speak with so many physicians day in and day out and Believe me, they're not hurting for social activities. You know, they're still happy. They make good money. They're able to travel and do all those things. It's just when you're in residency and maybe your junior attending years when you're a little bit more tied down than anything else. Yeah, you got to go through that process. Right. So I've talked about it previously, I think on the old pre-meds podcast, about telling everybody that 
you are on this journey. And you had the opposite uh, approach for not, you didn't want to tell anybody until they figured it out and you started letting people know. Once you started letting people know and then you started reaching out to the attendings for letters of recommendations, how have those relationships helped you now having three acceptances to medical school? Well, I honestly think that the letters of recommendation probably played as big of a role as anything when it came to actually getting accepted. I mean, to be able to see somebody at the patient's bedside and how they how they perform and, you know, you know, candidates have to have a level of maturity to them. And it's hard to gauge that when all you have are, you know, the organic professor saying, yeah, they show up to class on time. They ask a lot of questions. Really pleasure to be around. You know, it's, you know, I think uh, non-traditional students really have the opportunity to showcase, you know, what sets them apart from the more traditional student. And, you know, I was lucky enough to have people who actually understand the process and write for me. Yeah. And and they've watched you, observed you at the bedside, interacting with patients, and in their mind going, can can I see Matt taking care of my mom? That's an easy letter recommendation to write. Right, right. You went back and you did a do-it-yourself post-back. You finished nursing school with a 301 GPA, but you crushed your post-back. What switched in you to do better as a student? Um. I knew what I wanted. I knew that there was there was definitely an end goal, and I knew what I needed to do to get there. And if I didn't perform, I had no one to blame but myself. So holding myself accountable really helped. And then um, just being older, understanding what worked for me as a student, I think that that played a big role too. How did you balance that while also working? Uh, just time management skills. I think working helped me develop time management skills because you know as you're as your patient list is piling up and you still have a, you know, a hundred things you need to do, you figure out how to get things done. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just making sure that I took care of what needed to be taken care of when it needed to be done. And yeah, I don't know. Again, time management, I didn't have when I was, you know, doing my undergraduate the first time around. At any point along the way, you're doing your post back, you're studying for the MCAT. Did you question why you're doing it? Um, Yes. Whenever somebody asked me why I wanted to be doing it, I would have to reflect upon why I really was doing it. And I had to convince myself that it wasn't an egotistical thing. It was something that I really wanted to do for a living. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I had to reflect, but I'm, I, I realized that I was investing all of it into this, you know, I'm paying for, I'm paying for these post-bac classes out of pocket, you know, I'm, paying for all the resources. I'm spending, you know, free time studying the Krebs cycle, which is painful. And, and, you know, but there was, there's a light to the end of the tunnel. Going through nursing school, going through NP school, I'm going to assume that you have some student debt. Is that correct? Yep. How have you thought about this process and and put together the information with the debt that you have coming from another professional school, now wanting to go to medical school, how how are all those loans and everything going to play out for you? Well, I don't think that my debt is probably much different than what most people who graduate undergraduate and even a master's program have. And there's, there's different pathways that you can take to pay them off. Um, and I would like to think that 
I'm going to take advantage of one of them. One of them being if you work for a nonprofit for 10 years, um, my, my current employer offers this. If you work for a nonprofit for 10 years, you make income-based repayments, and then after 10 years, your whatever's left is forgiven. So um, some people make out really well on that if they're making okay money, and maybe other people not so much. But that is offered in a lot more places than I think people realize. Because you think underrepresented, underpopulated, you know, I work in Washington, D.C., which is hardly, you know, we're not missing doctors here, that's for sure. But there are programs, you know, just because it's not underserved, the not-for-profit status makes it eligible for these uh, loan forgiveness programs. Yeah, I've had uh, a long time ago National uh, NHSC, National Health Service Corps, I think is what they're called. Uh, yeah. They're very similar. They have their designated areas, and a lot of them are in, in urban cities. But I, I will preface, uh, I'll put a little asterisk on what you said. Our current administration is trying to get rid of public service loan forgiveness. Um, so yeah. for a lot of students going through this process with the hope of working for 10 years and, and getting the rest of that debt wiped out, it probably, it, it's very likely that that will be gone. Yeah, I did hear my colleagues talking about that. And I'm not currently enrolled in it, so I haven't been following that closely, but they have. And that's one of the concerns they expressed. But I also wouldn't let the cost of this influence anyone's decision to do it. I think I think the regret is worth a lot more than whatever you pay in your student loans. And, you know, you'll pay it off. You know, it's yeah. not going to happen quickly. But once you're there, it just becomes part of your monthly bills and, yeah. and you're done. You know? It can. It's, it's surprising. It can happen pretty quickly if and it's a big if if you continue living like a student on your attending salary. Yeah. So it can happen. I, I love the regret part because regret's the biggest thing that, that I want students to understand. If, if this is what you want, then do it. Don't regret it in 10 years that you didn't pursue this. So I, I love that you mentioned that. That was one of the a question that I had in a lot of my interviews was something along the lines of uh, what would you do if you or how did you come to this decision so clearly? And, and part of it was I kept waking up every morning trying to talk myself out of doing it and I couldn't do it. And I knew that if I didn't pursue this, I would have a lot of regret. What was the interview trail like for you? Having been currently working as an NP, how did the interviewers approach questioning you on your, your will, your determination, your reasons for becoming a physician? Um, the, the first couple of interviews were closed were closed to my application. So they only found out my pathway once they started asking questions. And they were immediately, I felt like they were immediately fascinated by it. And because of that, the, the conversation was very fluid and very comfortable for me. Probably a conversation I had a hundred times with my, my current colleagues and my attendings, you know, while I'm explaining it to them, you know, because they couldn't understand. But they were they were excited. And then they would ask questions, you know, more clinical questions, which I was surprised about. And I actually didn't realize I'd be getting interviewed by medical students. And some of them actually probably didn't have much of an idea what I was talking about. <laughs> Sometimes um, I'm involved in some cardiac surgery research. So some of those concepts were a little bit deep, I think, for the second year med student. But um, yeah, the, the interview trail was it was exciting. My first one was at GW. So I felt really comfortable there. And then just having a good first interview, it kind of carried momentum into the other interviews. Yeah, that helps. What do you think 
has been the biggest key to your success, getting multiple interviews and getting multiple acceptances at this point? Well, I gave myself the best chance at success by doing well in my post-back and then doing well in the MCAT. And then just telling telling my story in as compelling of a way as I could. Everybody has a story when they're approaching this. And I feel like my story is is interesting and and I, I have a lot of experience to to supplement my story. And um, yeah, I think just telling a good story and letting them understand that, yeah, I'm, I'm into this really, you know, resonates with them because they're interviewing people who are academically capable of doing it. They've already weeded that out. Yep. So so they want to they want to know who's actually going to buy into their philosophies and really, you know, perform as they want their trained physicians to perform. <laughs> who's the easily easily uh, uh moldable student <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> what do you think coming from your nursing background coming from your np background how did you frame that as either in your personal statement or in your interviews how did you frame that as a, a success or or the ability to be a better physician or classmate being having gone through nursing school made me comfortable early at the bedside and it, i i saw becoming a physician as the natural evolution of my career and again you know i became a nurse practitioner at 23 so still you know very young and i and i i was able to learn from every experience and ref, you know critically reflect upon the good decisions and the bad decisions and be able to grow from that and i made it very clear to all the people i was interviewing that that I understand that it, that you have to be on like very honest with yourself and reflecting upon your decision making, so you don't make the same mistakes, and you can learn and continue to grow. And I think that that kind of snuffed out the idea that I was going into this feeling like, oh, I already know everything, because you don't want to come off as arrogant. And I mm-hmm. don't believe I'm an arrogant person, so I just I wanted to just put that out there for them. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of students make when I do mock interviews with them or when I read their personal statements, they, they talk from the standpoint of, or they write from the standpoint of, I know what being a physician is like and I'm prepared for it. I'm like, no, nah, you don't really know. And even as an NP, there are probably things that you're going to learn along the way. Be like, wow, I didn't know physicians, you're dealing with this on the, the back end of things. Exactly. I actually shadowed one of my, one of my attendings on my own hours to see what it was, because I'm at the bedside, I know what being at the bedside is like, but what is it like going to, you know, the anesthesia meetings, and what's it like, um, you know, doing journal club and M&M with the fellows, and the more administrative part of their job, and and uh, actually, uh, that was commented on in one of my interviews, like, why did you feel like you needed more shadowing, and it's because I don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have any aspirations for continuing to work as an NP while you're in med school? Well, if I go to medical school in DC, it's incredibly expensive to live around here. And I feel that I could probably work like a weekend night, you know, like a Friday, Saturday night once a month or so, and just have a little extra spending money. I've always worked days and nights. So my body's like used to being awake at random hours and just throwing in a random night shift probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't bother me that much, I think. And I also think that it's a good use of time because you can you know, kind of put forth what you've been learning and put it in the clinical setting, even though early on, it's not going to be too much that's been contributed from medical school. But yeah, I'd like to make a little bit of money while I'm doing this. Yeah, that's, it's interesting. I know I was at um, 
University of Colorado here where I teach and the students were talking about uh, one of their classmates who's a nurse who continues to work as a as a nurse while she's going through medical school. So it's an interesting opportunity that you have. And and it's always a weird dynamic. It's like, well, I have this knowledge, but it's not technically affiliated with my degree and my credentials. So it's a weird balancing act that you have to play. Yeah, for sure. What do you hope to do in the future? Um, I I foresee myself going into surgery, and I'm not really sure what, but I'm I I really enjoy doing procedures. Like I said, I get to do all my own procedures now, and I get a lot of gratification from that very binary yes it worked or no it didn't and if it didn't now what are we going to do sort of pathway Mm -hmm. so i see myself uh going into surgery and i'm not really sure and i've lived in the cardiac surgery world for going on four years now and cardiac surgery is so fascinating you know the intricacies of the surgeries the patients are often very sick um so there are some integrated pathways to get into cardiac surgery residencies there's about 25 six-year programs which shortens it from the traditional five years of general surgery plus however many years of research and then your thoracic surgery resident uh fellowship so yeah you can shave off like four years if you go that way <laughs> but it's it's still too soon i try to spend time in the or on my off time just because the surgeons have essentially given me car blanche in our or to see things and ask questions it's an incredibly comfortable environment for me We've talked mostly about all of the positive things, all the positive support that people have given you. Has anybody along the way questioned you and 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 kind of given you negative feedback about why you're doing this? You're you're being silly at at, at your age and already practicing as a as a healthcare provider. Yeah, there's a couple guys and I'm friends with them. They're they're both attendings and one of them is a new attending and he was training as a fellow while I was here. So we got pretty close. And he, and he was like, you know, he's like, why are you doing this? You're going to be 35 or whatever when you're done. And, you know, your life's already pretty good for you. Why are you going to punish yourself? And, but it's, I, I feel like half of it is in jest and half of it is serious. Um, I think those who are on the outside, who, those who are on the tail end of it, looking back are like, wow, I wouldn't have done that again. But now that they're done, you know, they're reaping the rewards of it. And that's just, again, the training is part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy was, was basically suggesting that I was doing it as more of like a money grab, I guess, but I don't see how there's any merit in that argument because you invest so much going forward that you don't actually start making any money until, you know, much later anyways. And, uh, I've never been really motivated by profit anyways. Yeah. It's, it's interesting coming from where you are now working as an MP. I'm sure you're making good money as an MP. If you if you look at the reduction in or the the wiping out of your salary for the four years of medical school, and then even during residency, there's probably I'm assuming a salary difference between what you're making now as an MP and what you get as a resident and a fellow, and then you start adding in uh, your attending salary. It's going to take a long time to to get back over that kind of break even point. So. Money shouldn't be a, a concern because you're probably better out in the, at least in the long, short term, uh, better as an MP. Yeah, you you definitely can't do this for money. And if you try to do it for money, you will become exhausted and frustrated by the whole process at yeah. some point, I can only imagine. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, short term, PAs and MPs make good money. They live a comfortable lifestyle. But again, the job satisfaction, if you're more interested in what you're going to do day to day, 
I think, uh, you know, I think physician is the way to go, especially if you want to get into some of the more inter- some of the more subspecialties, especially the surgical subspecialties. Yeah. For the pre-med student out there listening to this, thinking about becoming an MP, possibly PA, or looking at med school and and questioning the path that they're on, what advice would you give him or her to to help them decide what's best for them? I think one thing is getting a lot of shadowing experience to actually see what the different professions do day to day because you day to day a nurse in an academic institution may have a different job than a nurse in a more community setting versus PAs and NPs in an academic setting and a community setting and then physicians you know you can find people who work in an academic setting who are working 80 hours a week but the physician who's doing private practice uh, he, you know, maybe has more flexibility with his schedule. I think just kind of getting, just seeing what's out there, seeing what's available, and then just being really honest with yourself. Are you willing to commit the time it takes? Do you, you know, are you willing to sacrifice the time and the money and the, you know, the, the fun weekends with your friends and the vacations? Because it's going to be a lot of sacrifice for a very long-term investment. What has been the most rewarding thing for you? so far on this short journey you've been on to become a physician? Well, probably when I started getting emails that I got accepted, I was like, wow, I, I've been waiting so long for this that it's actually here in front of me. And it felt like the biggest piano was lifted off my shoulders. But, you know, everything along the way, being able to, you know, help people daily, sick people who, you know, their, you know, outlook is pretty poor. And, you know, you can help the people, you can help the families, and then you grow as a human also on the way. I think it's not one event, it's all of them. All right, there you have it again. That was Matt, an NP, who's now on his way to medical school to go and do bigger and better things to further his education and increase his impact that he's able to have on patients. I hope this was helpful for you if you're in that position where you're thinking about leaving the healthcare field that you're in potentially and going back to medical school. Or if this said, if this podcast told you, yeah, no, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. That's okay too. All right. I want to remind you, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash forms. Check out the forms there. Collaborate, communicate and help out other students register for an account. It's all free. Check it out, medicalschoolhq.net slash forms. Hope you have a great week. Check us out next week where we talk to a physician about imposter syndrome.